0: Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. I trust that each and all of you had a very wonderful Christmas time with family and friends. Give me a thumbs up if it was wonderful. Excellent. Excellent. I had a great time as well. I traveled to Northwest Ohio to see my folks. It was a wonderful experience. Welcome also to those of you joining us online. I hope that you had a great Christmas time as well with family and friends. My name is Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's my great privilege to welcome you here this morning. And if this is one of your first times joining us, we want to express a very, very special welcome to you. And if you'd like to learn more about who we are, you can certainly do that. And the way that you do that is by communicating with us, by taking one of those communication cards that you can find on the seat back in front of you, if you'd be so kind, to fill that out. And uh, if you have some extra time afterwards, stop by our Welcome Center We have a free gift for joining us this morning, but indeed, thank you for worshiping with us uh, today. For those of you joining us online, you can uh, go to our website at vlchurch.com and click on that banner that says, Are You New Here? Fill out the form that pops up on your screen, and I will connect with you sometime this week. So thank you. I want to extend a very special Happy New Year to each and all of you today. It's New Year's Eve, and I trust that everyone here is anticipating a great 2024. Is that right? Yes. I love to get the affirmative from you. I had a, a wonderful time this morning because I was trying to just study and read up on New Year's commitments and things like that, and I had a very interesting thing that I read about uh, this morning about someone's approach to a diet. Has anybody ever, approached, uh, ever done a New Year's diet? Raise your hand if you've done that. I think everyone in the room has. Those of you not raising your hand, you're not being honest, all right? I'm calling you out in church. This is, this is what I read about how someone approached their New Year's resolution as it pertains to a diet and a fitness routine. In 2019, their commitment was to get their weight down below 180 pounds. Well, then in 2020, their resolution was to follow a new diet religiously until they get below 200 pounds. It got worse. In 2021, they decided to simply develop a realistic attitude about their weight. And then in 2022, the commitment was to work out just three days a week. And then finally, in 2023, their resolution was simply to drive past a gym at least once a week. (laughs) If that's you, it's okay. We've all been there. We know what it's like, but indeed, Happy New Year, and we know that God is a God of new things. I was reminded this morning of this wonderful verse in Isaiah chapter 43 when it says this. It says, God speaking to his people, which includes you and I, it says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing, and now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and will make rivers in the desert. It's a great verse. My prayer for us this year is that we can perceive what new things God is doing in our lives. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Absolutely. So, Happy New Year to each and all of you, and I hope that you can indeed see what God is doing in your lives as we turn to 2024. Well, if you've come to worship the Lord Jesus this morning with your tithes and offerings, you likely know what to do and how you can do that. You can give online or you can give via text or you can give as you exit the sanctuary this morning. But indeed, thank you for worshiping the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings today. Can I ask you to stand this morning? And as you stand, let's bow for a word of prayer together. Father God, may you make us new. May you make us new so that our light can shine to the world around us in ways that draw others to you. And we know that this starts as we put ourselves in a posture of worship. That's why we're here, to worship you. And we trust the promise of Jesus who said, if my people will worship me, if they will lift me up, I will draw all men unto me. Lord Jesus, that is our heart as we worship you now, and we pray in your name. Amen.
1: Amen. Well, let's worship him this morning. Here we go.
2: There's a fountain note where blessings overflow, where living water runs free. On rejoice, rejoice, my soul. Singing, praise the Lord. Jesus came for me, he set me on my feet, and now I'm singing. Praise the Lord by the power. as we pray.
1: Shows up. He begins to bring his will into our lives, and our will begins to align with his. And I know going into 2024, I want my will to be aligned with his because his is so much better than mine. I need him in so many ways. I need him to lead and guide me. I need him for personal provision. I need him for healing. I need him for peace. I need him for joy. And I want heard a pastor preach this, and it was, it was something that touched my heart so much, and I want to share it with you. Never put yourself in a position where you don't need something from God. That means you're just putting your faith in yourself. And we don't have it together, but he does. As we pray, he comes into the room. So this morning, you have an opportunity in this next song to pray. And I ask that you would seek the Lord as we're singing and say, Lord... What do I need from you in 2024? What do I need from you? Because I know that you never stop working. You never stop. So what do I need from you? Because I'm going to pray it right now into this room. As we sing this next song, seek the Lord. Allow him to seek your heart and show you just what you need from him. Let's worship him. Lord we want to know your will yours is better than ours allow ours to align with you be here in this place now move in and amongst your people
2: you are here Moving in our midst, I worship you.
3: Father God, you are a God who answers prayer. You are a God who meets with your people. You are a God whose presence can be keenly felt. A God whose presence can change lives. Lord, I pray that in the days and weeks to come, your people would be more convinced of your promises than we've ever been before. I pray in the days and weeks to come, we'd be more peaceful resting in your sovereignty than we've ever been before. God, I pray that in the days to come, we'd be more passionate for the name of Jesus than we have been in the times before. Lord Jesus, I pray in the days to come, we would seek out and find the spirit of the living God who changes us and makes us into the people that we were designed to be. I pray in the days to come, we'd see a harvest, a harvest for the kingdom of God, because we prayed, because we expected, because we anticipated the move of the living God. And I pray that our words would not be quiet and reflective and sad. But, Lord, I pray that we would be open to the move of your Spirit in such a way that the glory of God and the marvelous light would sprout forth from the mouth of the people of God and that we would bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces. Lord, that what happens in here spills over. Oh, Lord, make us passionate for the name of Jesus. Make us more excited about what you can do than anything that can be done in this world. For you are our way maker, our miracle worker, and the one who we will spend eternity with because of the work of Christ. We thank you for this today. We honor you for this today. And we ask for your presence to continually be with us in our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. All right, well, welcome once again to Victory Life Church this morning. We are so glad that you're worshiping with us on this last day of 2023. Uh, Young disciples, at this time, you may be dismissed to head on down the hall, get a message on your level. We will be seeing you in just a little bit. Looking forward to all that God has for you. Children's intensives are starting on the 17th of January, and a little birdie told me, this is what I've been told, A little birdie told me that there might be a kid's choir that's forming during intensives. And so, if your kid loves to sing, we hope that they'll participate with that. Brothers and sisters, if uh, you are here this morning and you brought your Bibles, would you turn in them to Philippians chapter 4? We actually have a little bit of housekeeping to do over the course of the next few minutes here because we were in the middle of a series prior to Advent where we were talking about being emotionally healthy and why God needs us to be emotionally healthy. And uh, we're going to discover that, we're going to talk about that today in a way that's a little bit different than you might expect. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 and we're going to see all that God has to tell us in his word about what he wants for us and from us uh, in just a few minutes. I don't know if you had a good holiday week. I certainly did. And it was aided and abetted by the Cleveland Browns who decided that for the only the third time in my adult life to make the playoffs, which was absolutely marvelous i I began to think about loving playing football watching football i I wanted to get out there myself and get murdered by somebody you know tackled <laughs> I grew up for years playing tackle football after church on sundays we'd we'd get together at Richardson school and we'd, we'd play tackle football and then many of you know from the mid 90s onwards we had a turkey bowl on Thanksgiving at Victory life where all the guys would get together and we'd eat Horrible food, you know, for our physical bodies, and then we'd go out and tackle each other for three hours. And my favorite play, when it came to the Turkey Bowl or Sunday afternoon football, was the play from the one-yard line, you know, where, where you really get to see how manly you really are. So I would play the offensive line, and I like to play from the one-yard line, because the only goal from the one-yard line is to push the person across from you two yards, and you get to see how strong you are, because you, you just hike the ball, just, and you hope that the running back is right behind you running into the end zone. Those are my favorite plays. I just love those, because it was just gets you all pumped up. And so, of course, uh, you'd get in the huddle when you were on the one-yard line, and you were on offense, and you'd look at your quarterback and say, dude, just follow me in. Look at all the girth represented in this huddle. Just follow us in. And the quarterback would be like, oh, oh, yeah, all right, man, sure, sure. So, you know, we'd, we'd be down in our stance and, hey, can you hear it? And then you start pushing the guy in front of you. You start pushing the guy in front of you. And the, then it plays over and you turn around and you expect your quarterback to be standing there high-fiving, but he's not. He's eight yard that way laying in the mud with four people on top of him. <laughs> Dude, what are you doing? Why are you over there? And inevitably, and if this happened once, this happened a half dozen times, two dozen I don't know how many times this happened over the years. He'd say something like, well, I thought I'd try a little end around. I'm like, we're on the one-yard line. You don't need an end around. You just need to run into my back as I fall into that guy, and we score. So later on in the game, we'd have the exact same scenario. We'd be on the one-yard line. And we look at the quarterback and say, like, dude, this time, just do this one thing. Grab the ball and just fall forward into the end zone. That's all you got to do. We will push them the two yards needed to get you in. And so we'd be down in our stands. We'd hear it, hike. And then you'd turn around and he'd be in the mud eight yards that way. You'd say, what are you doing? And he'd say, well, you know, I just saw those defenders and they were wanting to take my head off. And so I figured I could do a little end around." And we're like, no, just follow us in. You would have been untouched. We pushed those guys halfway to Acme, and you're back there in the mud. What are you doing? But it's a scary world out there when you got 11 guys lined up wanting to take your head off. And you think, maybe I can scoot around end. maybe nobody will get me. But with just a little bit of discipline, with a little bit of faith, he could have just walked in untouched. You know, fully formed disciples are emotionally healthy. We need to be that way. Sanctified Christians, we need to have this whole thing together. Heart, mind, soul, spirit, this ought to be composed. It ought to be composed for you know, two main reasons. Number one, Jesus is trying to win a lost and a dying world unto himself. And if his people are walking around like a hot mess, that's a little bit harder. If we don't get composed, if we don't get regulated, if we don't become people... Who, who have a, a confidence in God, a, a peace that we exude, a joy that we know, that is both winsome and worthy of notice. I'll say that again, that the people of God ought to have a, a peace that we exude, a joy in the Lord, a, a confidence in who he is, that is both winsome and worthy of note in a world that has not those things. So, so we ought to have that because Jesus is trying to win people unto himself. Now, now it's okay to come into Christianity as a hot mess. In fact, most of us do. But we're not supposed to stay there. And the Bible has beautiful principles. We've been talking about them. Remember we talked about, just prior to Christmas, we talked about how when our treasure is not in the things of this earth, we, we don't have to be anxious. We talked about if we take rest and Sabbath the way the Lord tells us to. That, that we can have peace, that we can have joy. Well, we're going to run into a third concept today, and it's actually a set of concepts from one of the most famous passages of Scripture that are going to tell us how do you exude that peace? How do you embody that joy? How do you have that confidence in God that's winsome, that's noteworthy, and can help win people to Jesus? Here's the other side of that. <clears throat> that that's, the, that's the ministerial side. Here's the other side. God loves you, so he doesn't want you to be a mess. Like, he cares. He cares. He really cares about you. So, so maybe today you're drowning in your thoughts and your emotions. Well, let's, let's, let's take that to the Word of God, and let's see what it has to say about that. But if you're, maybe you're not drowning today, but maybe nobody could describe your emotional state as winsome. Well, then the Bible has something for you today, too, because we want to do something for the Lord in this world, and, and the way we live our lives should be winsome, it should be noteworthy. So here's the dangerous part. This is where everybody stops amening. There's five imperatives in the, in the scripture today. Five. There's actually six, but I, I put two together so we wouldn't be here till two. So, so there's five different things that Paul tells us to do in this short little passage, but there's also two great promises, two great big promises from Philippians chapter four. So let's take a look at the promises, and then we'll take a look at the imperatives, and let's see if we can get to that place where, where what we have here, what we exude, is the peace and the joy and the winsomeness of the Lord. Are you in Philippians chapter four? One of the most famous passages of Scripture. Here we go, verse 4 and following. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things... And the peace of, or I'm sorry, let me get this right, because this is important. And the God of peace will be with you. Not the peace of God, but the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things, and here's the promise. The God of peace will be with you. So that's the first promise. Let's talk about the two great promises of this passage. The the first great promise is what we're going to look at right here at the end, verse 9. That the presence of God... The presence that is peace will be with you. Now, I don't know about you. Have you ever had anybody that could step into your life, could step into your world, step into your home, step into your office place, and you're just like, oh, thank God they're here. Thank God that person is here. When they walk in the room, the atmosphere has changed. Everything's different because of that person. I don't know if all of you have that. Some of you probably have a few people that they walk in the room and you're like, oh, dear God, they're here, right? <laughs> I'm not real happy that they're here. But but there are some folks that, that, that can walk into our... My, my father was this way. My father was this way. When, when my dad walked into the room, there was a peace. There was a joy. There was a winsomeness about who he was and what he was exuding. And it wasn't him, because I'd seen him angry. <laughs> but the Spirit of God was was evident, was evident. Well, that Spirit of God that exudes peace and that exudes joy, that's available to you without another human needing to enter the room. He just needs to enter the room. His presence just needs to be in your life, and that's the promise here. If you practice these five imperatives, the God of peace will be with you. Peace is not over here in a peace bubble that you just got to take hold of. Peace is where God is, and that's so different than before we knew Christ, because before we knew Christ, the presence of God meant death. That's scary stuff. Nature trembles in the presence of God until they're forgiven, until they're sanctified and made holy by Christ. Once you know Christ, then you don't need to tremble in the presence of God, peace comes in the presence of God. So, so the promise here is that as you practice the presence of God, thanks Brother Lawrence, it's a book, if you practice the presence of God, peace is gonna be yours. This is the emotional state that God wants to have you in all the time, because his presence is so keenly felt in your life, he can set the tone, he can change the feeling in the room. He can take those negative thoughts, those negative emotions, and the patterns of those negative thoughts and emotions and go, no, you're not going to go there. You're just not going to go there because I'm here. 26th of December, I'm sitting there with my family. We're having dinner. And somebody goes, I'm so sad Christmas is over. And I yelled, no! We are not going to go into the December twenty sixth doldrums. We won't do it. We're going to have joy this week. We're going to enjoy each other's presence this week. We're going to have fun this week. Christmas is not over. Christmas is all week long, and we're going to enjoy it. We're going to have fun, and you're not going to get depressed. We won't do it. And I really did. I yelled at him just like that. And there. We just weren't going to go there. Now, I don't, I don't know if God's in the business of yelling at you while you're in his presence or he in yours, but there's just places you won't go if you're in the presence of God. There's just emotional states and places that that he won't let you go because of his presence. And that gets us to the second promise. And the second promise is found up in verse 7, that if we practice the things, these imperatives that Paul tells us about, he will do what? What's the second clause? Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He will say of your thoughts, all right, your mind, and your heart, your emotions, you can't touch them. They're not going to go there. We're not going to go in that direction because I have the power to guard you from those things. I don't know that we believe this, but this is absolutely true. In fact, I wish I would have known this at 30 the way I now knows it, know it as I'm closing in at 40. Because I, 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 I'd read this passage but I would try to apply it like God the prayer genie. You know, I wouldn't spend any time in his presence. I wouldn't spend any time in his word. I wouldn't spend any time seeking him. But then when I had a negative thought or emotion, I'd be like, oh, Philippians 4.7, let me rub the lamp. God, I'm anxious about money. Could you stop that, please? Guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Don't you do that? But I, I, I wasn't doing anything in this passage, Right? I would just want him to be my prayer genie. God, God, I don't want to go down that thought pattern again where I get all negative. Three wishes, but there's imperatives here, right? That if you do them, then God's promises will come true. Now, I'm sorry for those of you who, who, who would, 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 would uh, bristle at the idea that the sanctified Christian needs to do anything in order to become more sanctified. But, but we have a choice to make, and there's imperatives here. Now, let's back out to the context for just a minute before we get into these five imperatives. Paul is writing to a specific church. It's the church in Philippi. All right? These are his best ministry partners. So these are, these are good people. They are very passionate about evangelism. They are very generous to the ministry of Paul. But they have problems. There's problems within the church. They don't always get along. That's one of the reasons this book is written. Because we're supposed to forbear with one another, we're supposed to forgive one another, we're supposed to take care of one another, except that people can be stinkers. And and over time, a church family can sometimes get into it like family gets into it, right? And, And Paul's writing into that, saying, let's not go down those negative patterns. That's one of the issues. They also are facing persecution, like real persecution. People are doing bad things to these Christians because they're Christian. And then they have the normal pressures of life, the pressures of, of health struggles, the pressures of financial struggles, the pressure of relational struggles. So they got all of this going in to it. They're just like us. They, they, they live like life like us, and Paul is writing these imperatives to them, saying God can guard your heart and mind, and his presence can be your peace. But what's your side of it? Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. Paul knew we wouldn't believe him. He knew we would not believe him that this was important. Because the full measure of our conversion becomes evident when we stop rejoicing in the things of earth and we start rejoicing in God. That's the full measure of our conversion. Our happiness and comfort is not derived from the created thing, Our happiness and comfort, and actually, we're actually on a higher plane, right? Because a higher plane than happiness and comfort is joy and peace. That's the actual things that we're to feel. If we get to the higher plane, that's from God. We're busy before God trying to find happiness and comfort in the created thing. We find Jesus because we realize that wasn't satisfying, But after finding Jesus, then what often takes place is we don't make a full conversion and begin to rejoice in God. Now we just have Jesus, and we go back into finding happiness and comfort in the creative thing again. So we don't have peace. And what what God is trying to get across to us through the Apostle Paul is our joy is to be found in Christ. Our peace is to be found in our relationship to him. And if we seek those things then this thing starts to get regulated. Then our hearts and minds and emotions begin to be changed. If you want a great supplementary passage to this passage today from the very words of Jesus, I would love you to read John 15 again in your Bible study this week, where Jesus says, I've said these things to you that your joy may be complete. My joy will be complete because we'll be in strong relationship, but your joy will be complete because we're in strong relationship. So that, that's, that's what we don't believe. Because we're still rejoicing in the created thing. Now, I can find happiness in the created thing, and that's not wrong. Thank you, God, for hot showers. Thank you, God, for clean running water. Thank you, God, for indoor plumbing. Thank you, God, for King's Hawaiian rolls, whatever it is. <laughs> I can thank God for those things, but I, I don't rejoice in those things. I don't put my, but people do, maybe, maybe not the King's Hawaiian rolls, but people do put their joy in the things of earth rather than seeking joy in the things of God. And then they, they don't have peace. And they're like, why don't I have peace? Why don't I have joy? Because they've never learned to rejoice in God. And so you kind of ask, I, I, you maybe you never ask yourself this question, but, but maybe it's important that you do. Why, since from the dawn of time, from the dawn of true religion, from the point at which God revealed himself as Yahweh God, I am that I am, why was there always music time during worship time? Why was there always hymns and songs Because God recognized that people needed to learn to rejoice in, glory in, enjoy the presence of the Lord, and song is something that takes us out of whatever side of our brain is very analytical, whatever side of our brain which is very matter of fact, and puts us into that place where we're joyful and at peace and at rest, and we make this switch to a place where we are rejoicing in who God is and what he has done and what we expect him to do so rejoicing in God in order to regulate this thing is not the hardest thing in the world because every church that you go to sans a few will start with an opportunity to rejoice in him from the minute the worship service starts they'll give you an opportunity to switch over and begin to learn to rejoice in God so that's why when we're singing a song like You're the Waymaker, You're the Miracle Worker, You're the Promise Keeper, we're calling to mind all the reasons that we should have joy in God. We're calling to mind those things as we pray. The, the heart of God and man unite. What, what a beautiful thing that God loves us enough to help unite our hearts to him. And we begin as we think about and sing about and, and reflect on the things of God to begin to take joy in him rather than this stuff, the created thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's what we're called to do. But Paul, Paul knew he wouldn't believe. Him. Paul knew that this would be a secondary conversion for us to say, yes, I've converted to Christ, but now I've converted what I find joy in. What I find joy in. We're supposed to find joy in the Lord. The second thing Paul says, the second imperative, is that we ought to be reasonable. I love that word, reasonable. Because I've met plenty of people who are not reasonable. And, and they're not at peace. Now, you know you have a million-dollar biblical word when every different translation translates it a different way. So for those of you who have an NIV, it translates it one way. And for those of you who have the ESV, it translates it another way. And those of you who have a NASB, N-A-S-B, it translates this word a different way. Because it's such a rich, and, rich word. A- 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 and as best as I can surmise having studied this word for a good part of this week, it, this word is about being yielding. In your spirit. Not, not, being, not being quarrelsome. Or not being frustra- easily frustrated. Paul says, let your reasonableness be evident to all. To everybody. Meaning, your goal should be to think about how other people are perceiving you. I should never have to worry about that. I am an American. (laughs) You're a Christian first. And your goal should be to to be thinking about how other people perceive you. So I studied this word, and I saw the the definition pertaining to being gracious and forbearing, not quarrelsome. And then if you were to read it in the NASB or the ESV or 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 the NIV or all these different translations, gentleness, yieldingness, reasonableness, good sense, gentle spirit, and so I made a little rhyme for you, for this imperative. It's very simple. I don't need to be right. I don't need to fight for my rights. And, I <laughs> and I'll avoid feeling slighted. So I don't need to be right. I don't have to fight for my rights. And I'll avoid feeling slight. Let your reasonableness be evident to all, not just the people in church between nine o'clock and 10:30 on a Sunday morning, but to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to that family member who's not reasonable, who's always fighting for their rights and stomping on yours. Let your reasonableness be evident to everyone. I hate words like everyone, because there's people that I would like to reserve the right to be a jerk to. Steelers fans, Ravens fans, people of that nature. No, I like some of them. But why? Paul just pulls us up to the higher play, doesn't he? Because the Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. Jesus is returning. You don't have time to fight over the petty little things. You don't have time for people to think negative thoughts about you because you had to fight, because you had to quarrel, because you had to be right, because you had to fight for your rights because you were feeling slighted. You don't have time for that. The Lord needs Jesus to be promoted in this world. He can't have his people fighting for their rights. We lay down our rights as Christians. We lay down the need to feel like we're right all the time. Oh, and boy, if you want to remain in church till you're you know, with Jesus, you're going to have to lay down the inclination to feel slighted. You've got to lay it down. I have a beautiful promise about victory life. You stay here long enough, you'll feel slighted. (laughs) I will offend the crud out of you. Or someone else will. I will. I promise. It's the only thing I can promise you about how I'll treat you. I will eventually make you feel negatively about the way I've treated you. Somebody else on staff will too. A couple of the elders might join in. A couple trustees might really frustrate you, okay? See, because we're family. We're family. See, this is what Paul was writing into. The family was fighting a little bit. And he couldn't have that because the Lord is at hand. And we've got a bigger job. We lift one voice to one God for one cause that all may know you. So we, we need to save people. That's what we're in the business of doing. So, so we can't be unreasonable. We, we have to let our reasonableness be evident to all. We doing okay? Is this madlingly practicable? Practicable. Robert E. Lee once said that. In a, in a, is this maddeningly practical? Because, because the word of God is very practical here. That's why this passage is so famous. And now we get to the big one. Number three, the, 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 the crux of the matter. Don't be anxious about anything, but in, once again, everything... By prayer and supplication, make your request known to God with thanksgiving. So, so this is the big one. And this is the two for one. And we'll just keep it simple. Don't be anxious, talk to God. That's the two for one. Don't be anxious, talk to God. And, and I, I, I stumbled upon something this week in my study. Do you remember how Jesus says, get into your prayer closet? Do you remember those words from, what, Matthew chapter 6? And I thought, why do you need to go into a closet? Well, the issue was, at that time in history, when you prayed, you prayed out loud. And if you're praying out loud, there is perhaps a performative nature to that. So, so get alone so you can pray out loud. And then you can really talk to God about what you're really thinking. And I began to think about this. I think, uh, and, and this, is, this is sidebar, Pastor Matt, this, I think this is true. But I, I, can I say that? I think this is true. I think we're supposed to pray out loud. To God because I think there's a power in using our voice, and I think when we say things out loud it begins to unravel, and we hear ourselves, and and, and I think that inner monologue needs to become an outer monologue because it's submission to God. So I think we submit to God when we say it out loud, and we're inviting him into our thoughts and our emotions in a greater way than if we just kind of let it roll through our inner monologue. I'm just thinking that. I don't know that for certain, I can't point to a passage that says it's absolutely that way, but if Jesus says we need to get our prayer closets, so we can say what we need to say to God so that people won't, like, think we're crazy, right? It seems to me that we should say it out loud, and there's power in that. I, this is not name and claim it. This isn't, you know, I, I spoke out loud that I needed a Cadillac, and then I got one. This is not that at all. It's merely to say that I think there's power when we use our voice. God gave us a voice to use it. And when we use that, I th- and we say out loud that which we've been thinking, I think that's a very gentle way to submit to God, to submit our thoughts and our emotions to him. First Peter 5, 7, he said, "'Cast all your anxiety upon him, for he cares for you.'" James chapter 4, verse 2, you have not because you ask not. God wants to respond to us in prayer. I think we ought to say it out loud. I think God loves when we come to him in a childlike fashion. By this time in history, that first word, prayer, just meant to talk to God. Originally, in its meaning, it meant to ask him for something. But by this time in the history of the Greek language, it's meant to talk to God. That's why it's paired with supplication. Talk to God, and then tell him what you need. So don't be anxious. Talk to God. Then tell him what you need. That's why supplication is there, even though it seems redundant. And then the third word is what? With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. God wants you to talk to him. He wants his presence to be with you daily because his presence is peace. You begin to bring your concerns, even, even, your, even your goofy thoughts, even your weird thoughts, even your thoughts like, I can't believe I said that out loud to God. He wants all of those, right? Because it doesn't shake him up. He, he knew you were thinking it anyhow. You're submitting your thoughts and your emotions to him. You're asking him for what you need in that childlike faith that he wants from you. And then you're doing so with thanksgiving. Because if prayer is the gasoline that moves the engine of peace, thanksgiving is the fuel injection cleaner that gets the gunk out. That, that's, that's how it works. So, so prayer is the gasoline that, that gets our peace going. We've spent time with God. But, but the fuel injection cleaner of Thanksgiving gets the gunk out because when we get to thank God for what we have and what he's done and what he's given us, and, and the things of earth become strangely dim. And some of these problems and little petty things that really ought not to be taking up space in our mind and our heart, they, they get out of there. And all of a sudden, our peace runs at a greater level. So that's why Thanksgiving is incredibly important. So, so we have three imperatives, actually four, but we, we, brought, we brought them together. The imperative is we need to learn to rejoice, make our conversion complete. We can't, be, we can't be spending time on the petty stuff of life. We're trying to win people to Jesus. And if we focus on the main thing, we won't be focused on all the little things, and that's going to bring us peace. If we speak our things to the Lord, hopefully out loud, but you don't have to. I'm just saying I think it might work. Uh, I know it works for me. I can't promise. Well, the speaking out loud part, praying works. The fourth thing here is think on good things. Now, this is the advice my children hate. They come to me, it's 9.30, it's an hour past their bedtime. Dad, I can't sleep, I'm thinking about something bad. And I'm like, well, think about something good. That doesn't work. I go, why don't you try it? No, it won't work, I'll just lay there and cry. I'm like, you, you can try it. You can make an attempt, right? I mean... Pop culture has taught us that this works. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. Bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens. Brown Amazon packages with blue tape. (laughs) These are a few of my... We... Right? How many of you watched White Christmas? The great poet Bing Crosby tells Rosemary Clooney, When you're worried and you can't sleep, just count your blessings instead of sheep and you'll fall asleep, counting your blessings. It's not just about sleep. But there is a power in thinking what is good and what is noble, what is pure and what is excellent. But what are the source of those things? This is the problem. The source of those things is God. The source of those things is his word. And so if we're just like, oh, well, that was, what a beautiful job I did cutting my grass. Well, okay. I suppose that's helpful, but I don't know that that raises to the, to the qualification of excellent, right? Amen. So the very next verse, verse 9, as Paul is bringing this into conclusion, he says, you know, filter all of this through what I have taught you, what you have learned in my presence, and what you have seen in my life. And that was the word of God. That was the teaching of the word of God, and that was the acting out of the word of God to try to win people to Jesus. That's what they'd experienced with Paul. And therefore, you take all of this with a grain of salt, but you can think about good things, and that's okay, but if you think about the things that are excellent, pure, wonderful, marvelous, in the Lord's sight, that has power. That has power. So, so I, I, I would tell you that, yes, I, I don't know that I can think about the way I cut my grass and arrive at peace, but I can think about the things of the Lord and what he has done and what he is doing, and that can bring me peace. Last point, you never thought we'd get here in under an hour, but here we go. This is, this is the big one, verse 9. Put one through four into practice. If you do these things, if you do these things, then the God of peace will be with you. Not, not if you, if, if you know those things are right, because Pastor Matt said so, but if you actually put them into practice. So let me ask you, is there something practical and real you could do to begin rejoicing in God. I mean, I could spell it out for you, but then we'd be here for another 45 minutes, and I don't think I need to. I think you're smart. You could make a willful decision. Uh, Willful sounds negative. You could make a decision of your will to rejoice in God if you wanted to and stop rejoicing or trying to find comfort and happiness in the things of earth. You could make that decision, and you could do something about it immediately, and the Bible says that would begin to bring the God of peace, his presence, into your life. Okay? Secondly, we've learned that you need to let your reasonableness be evident to all. Can I ask you something? What's getting you stirred up and getting you angry and negative? Can you do something about that, that you might become more reasonable? What gets you all churned up? What What form of communication gets you churned up? What are you clicking, watching, or scrolling through that makes you less reasonable and gets you upset, gets you angry? Because th- th- those things have nothing to do with the kingdom of God and what he's trying to do in this world. Maybe if we spend a little less time clicking and watching and scrolling, and a little more time turning and reading and thanking and praising, our reasonableness would be a little more evident to all. What are you going to do about prayer? This is a big question. What are you going to do about prayer? Are you actually going to set aside time on January the 1st to spend some time talking to God? Just letting Him know all the things. Well, I'm not in trouble. Great great. If the only time you talked to your spouse was when things were bad, would that be good for your marriage? Certainly not. You talk to your spouse every day to maintain the relationship. Why don't you talk to God whether things are good or bad tomorrow? Try five minutes. He didn't say an hour. Try five. Start somewhere. Build in that discipline of, of letting God know what you need. Speaking out loud to Him. Thanking Him for the good things in your life. And that way, when the real trials come, you won't have to rub the genie lamp. Because you'll already know his peace and you'll already know his presence. You won't have to rub the lamp and say, are you going to guard my heart and mine or not? No, it's already going to be there. And therefore, if if you even move on those three things, it's going to be a lot easier to think about what is pure and noble and excellent. If you just make a move on one through three, then you'll have context for what is pure and good and excellent and noble and praiseworthy. So... It, it, it's, it's highly practical, but I don't know that we always believe it. Because we do other things. We prioritize other things. and th- Then we, we hit those patches of negative thoughts, negative emotions, negative actions. We, we offend the crud out of somebody because we're not in a good place. But, but God says no. No. Folks, the, the word of God is incredibly practical. And it's going to help you get to the place that you need to go. So the only question that remains to us is are you going to follow god in to emotional health or are you going to try to do an end around that leaves you laying in the mud that leaves you in a place where god's just looking at you going i provided a way for you just just follow me what are you doing back there that is not what we talked about and and you could get here by january 3rd you can either be laying in the mud by january 3rd or you could be scoring right (laughs) You can be in the end zone with the Lord, guard, having him guarding your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, changing the way you think and changing the way you process. It's completely up to you. <clears throat> His promises are true. I, I, and i got to be honest, I didn't know it at 30, but closing on a 40, I know they're true. Because I didn't believe them at 30. I, I just believed that they were right. But I hadn't put them into practice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for our time together today. When I say time together, I don't mean just with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean with you. Lord, you speak through your word. You're so faithful to do that, and we thank you for it. Lord, for every heart that is bowed before you today, would you speak one or two things right now that needs to change? And if your heart's bowed before him, why don't you ask him, Lord, what needs to change? What needs to change?
2: You never stop. You never stop working.
3: presence. We thank you for your reality. And as we go from this place, may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, for the Lord is at hand. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Happy.